Wonderful. Well, as I begin sharing my slide, I'd like to share with the audience uh, today is a little bit of a tiny bit of an experimental presentation. Uh, I'm going to do a bit of a multimedia uh, presentation, and uh, we'll know uh, whether I'm invited next year or not, whether the experiment worked. But um, all jokes aside, I'm going to share with you the issue of our need to change our healthcare system. Uh, we need to uh, override a healthcare system and, and, and just do something that's very different uh, than what we've uh, what we're currently doing. And so, what I'm going to do is give you my insight into our work and share with you the approach I think we need to take. And um, <clears throat> I'll share with you some uh, two clinical cases that demonstrates how we uh, carry this out. So. Essentially, Dr. Montgomery, before we begin, there's a on, on the top right, there is a another bar. Can you move that to the to the other screen, maybe? Okay. Is Perfect. That... That's fine. Perfect. Okay. Sorry about that. All these technical problems here. So we're in a healthcare crisis. Many of you may be aware of that. Um, I'll have one slide for this. This could be made, uh, this could be a talk in and of itself. What I will say is that. The data shows that our life expectancy decreased suddenly from the year 2019 to 2020, and then from 2020 to 2021. Of course, that drop in 2019 preceded the recent pandemic, so we can't just put it on the pandemic. Prior to this, from 1995 up, we had an increase in life expectancy. It began to plateau and maybe had a slight drop in 2014, but had a drastic drop in 2019. Uh, we're all aware of the uh, increased prevalence of chronic illnesses, diabetes, hypertension, obesity, uh, and it's affecting the young and old and alike. And so sickness has become the norm. So needless to say, uh, a paradigm shift is needed. And my take, my theory is that lifestyle intervention should be the first line treatment of choice for both prevention, control, and also reversal of chronic illnesses. And I want to emphasize the need to use lifestyle for the reversal of chronic illness, because most of us uh, are in a situation in this society where we're not trying to prevent things. For the most part, we need to deal with uh, disease reversal. Uh, and that's where we uh, really need to use lifestyle intervention. Now, what I'll say is, what is this paradigm shift? Uh, so it's one thing to say lifestyle intervention. However, if someone is sick in the hospital, if they're on a ventilator, uh, you know, and intubated in the ICU, you can't just, you know, take them off life support and say, just eat fruits and vegetables and exercise. So you have to integrate this aggressive lifestyle intervention with an existing allopathic medical uh, treatment that we have. So we've put together this integrative health approach. And so the foundation of this integrative health approach, uh, it, it combines allopathic uh, treatments such as you know, medication treatment, surgery, and the like on an as-needed basis, but it doesn't strictly rely on those things. So <clears throat> this combination of allopathic approach with both natural and regenerative therapies is the core aspect of this integrative health approach. So first step is that we try to stabilize individuals who are acutely ill. Uh, that starts with evaluating a condition, weaning them from prescription medications as needed, and weaning them from procedures. Now, the reason why I emphasize weaning prescription medication and procedures is that we have to recognize the double-edged sword of these procedures. And many of you may be aware of the fact that the number one cause of, of, of illness and death in the United States is cardiovascular disease, 
Number two is cancer, but number three is medical treatment. So when we prescribe medications and we prescribe you know, procedures, yes, there's some potential benefit to these uh, prescriptions. However, there's also a potential risk. And oftentimes when we're excessive in prescribing these things, the risk uh, outweighs the benefit. Then we need to, next step is integrate natural lifestyle intervention. So oftentimes we get patients that stabilize on two or three blood pressure medications. And then the doctor says, okay, I'll see you in three months or six months. But we shouldn't stop there. Integrating lifestyle interventions to enhance natural healing is the important thing. These medications and surgeries do not heal the body. The body heals itself. Then we have to utilize target micronutrient therapies as needed. And then there are so-called advanced regenerative therapies that are also beneficial for individuals with advanced illnesses who need more accelerated healing. Uh, examples include infrared sauna therapy, uh, this ultraviolet uh, light therapy, this ozone infusion therapy, uh, external counterpulsation therapy, and there's also hyperbaric oxygen therapy. And of course, making a rapid uh, uh, move into uh, uh, natural therapies is mesenchymal stem cell therapy. So these are all therapies that uh, in our practice, we have either started or are planning to start to integrate in the care of our patients. So how do we look at this uh, integrative approach? So what does the nutritional intervention look like? Many people uh, follow the standard American diet lifestyle. Many individuals who are consuming you know, you know, fast foods on a regular basis, many of them are addic uh, addicted to these foods. So it's not just a matter of giving them a pamphlet and say, well, eat your fruits and vegetables. Uh, we have to treat these current lifestyle habits as addiction. And so you have to create a program around it. So how does that, how, what does that look like? Well, there's detoxing protocols, there's fasting and cleansing that allows the body to jumpstart its, its metabolic uh, switching processes. It also changes the taste buds. You have to support them with nutritional classes, the comprehensive clinical detox programs. So what we've learned in the nearly more than two decades that we've been applying this approach that individuals need support and they need support on an ongoing basis. Uh, there's also advanced recipe design, small group shopping and gardening tools. So we've, uh, we've created an online community to help substantiate and support you know, these different approaches. How about targeted micronutrient therapies? Uh, I'll see individuals coming in with cardiac arrhythmias uh, with uncontrolled blood pressure. We may have to measure the intracellular uh, magnesium level, for example, or they may have a deficiency in coenzyme Q10. Many individuals are deficient in vitamin D. So we may have to use targeted micronutrient therapies to help correct these deficiencies in a more accelerated manner. So some of these can be done intravenously uh, and some of these can be done orally. Uh, also, there's a, 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 an approach to test for certain micronutrient deficiencies. There's some specialized testing that could be done. Also, I should mention that in, many individuals are, are loaded with different toxins, different uh, metals, uh, xenoestrogens and the like, and these things need to be tested for as well. And these abnormalities need to be corrected as well. So there's a, a, a targeted approach that has to be uh, utilized from the standpoint of the individual biochemistry. What about fitness? Well, oftentimes we'll tell patients that, well, just exercise more, walk, et cetera. What we've done in our practice, we've uh, incorporated trainers. We have trainers on, on contract. We have certain days at a gym and we have our patient go to that gym and work out. And the trainers put them through certain workouts. 
these are certified trainers who uh, intentionally work them out to improve their core, improve, improve their balance, improve their cardiovascular fitness. So it's not just a matter of telling people just go and walk every now and then. We have to prescribe fitness uh, in an accurate manner as well. As well. Then there are also physiological functional correction uh, 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 and from the standpoint of using uh, chiropractors, acupuncturists, and the like. And these are done in a targeted fashion based on special needs. These are some of the advanced regenerative therapies that are integrated, external counterpulsation. We have uh, two of those devices in our office. This works very well for individuals with advanced cardiovascular disease. Ozone therapy works very well with people with inflammatory disease or systemic illnesses and cardiovascular disease. And soon to be coming to our practice, mesenchymal stem cell therapy is, is making its way on the scene to help out, certainly with patients with arthritic conditions and other chronic illnesses as well. So all of these uh, therapies need to be integrated. Uh, oftentimes, individuals will you know, go to the supermarket and take a supplement, or they may go to one care person to get you know, uh, acupuncture, et cetera. But these therapies need to be integrated under one clinical home where you have a clinical team that's looking at the progress of the patient and looking at how these therapies are working synergistically and how effective they are, making adjustments as needed. So that's the approach from an integrated care standpoint. Now, here's clinical case one. This is a patient, many of you may know him, uh, you may recognize him. We're gonna share our approach with this patient. Uh, and uh, he is a 62 year old man, he's a retired NFL uh, player. Uh, he actually happens to be in the Hall of Fame. So he came to our center um, and wanted a cardiovascular workup. Uh, he wanted to get back to exercise. In fact, he wants to get back to training his body to get near uh, his performance level. Uh, he had not uh, seen a physician in nearly 15 years. Um, he did report a family history and somewhat of a personal history of hypertension, but wasn't checking his blood pressure regularly. However, he didn't have any symptoms whatsoever, uh, no dizziness, uh, no chest discomfort, no shortness of breath. In fact, he said he you know played with his grandkids when he was at the center. He showed me a videotape him doing cartwheels um, uh, with one of his grandchildren. However, when we took his vital signs, it was a little overweight, but what caught our attention was initial blood pressure at 191 over 114. And so here's someone who had not seen a physician in 15 years, and he's coming in with this blood pressure, which many people would say, hey, this is stroke level. So despite him not having symptoms, et cetera, this kind of blood pressure is something that gets your attention. So then the question becomes, what's the next step? What should we do next? Well, the options are, one, do we send them to the emergency room? Uh, you know, this is a common approach. Uh, and I think, had, you know, to do this would not be a bad thing. Uh, should we start them on medication? This is certainly, I would think, would be the least thing you should do, someone with that type of blood pressure. Uh, the other possibility would just to simply start them on a lifestyle intervention. You know, forget the emergency room, forget the medication, just say, why don't you just have, you know, raw fruits and vegetables? You know, is that a reasonable approach? So the question is, with this person, with 191 over 114, you know, what approach uh, should we take? Well, let me sort of share with you uh, a video clip and uh, the share, uh, give you some insight in terms of our discussion uh, about this patient and, um, you know, how we went about uh, giving some consideration. 
Let's look at Mr. Green's stress test. On his stress test, he had good functional capacity, went for a good period of time. His blood pressure response was normal. It started at 191 over 114 in the office, and then after the end of the exercise, it was 180 over 100. Okay, okay, that's pretty good. And EKG changes, anything? Let's pull up, let's kind of scroll through the EKG stress real quick. So one, even though you had a very high blood pressure, there was no evidence of any stress on the heart, a heart attack going on, which is important. The stress test didn't show any changes consistent with ischemia. What should we do? I mean, blood pressure 191 over 114, you know, a lot of people send them to the ER right away. I mean, so um, there you go. Um, blood pressure 119 over 114, 191 over 114. And so uh, what should be done? I don't know if we have a chat feature. Uh, I'm just going to throw these questions out uh, at the audience. You know, there are benefits of going to the emergency room. Uh, you know, there's an inpatient observation while normalizing the blood pressure. Uh, you can rapidly normalizing the blood pressure. You know, that's a possibility. Uh, more rapid uh, blood test results. So there are some benefits of going to the emergency room. There are probably others. Um, you know, the benefits of sending the patient to the, um, of not sending the patient to the emergency room. Well, you know, you avoid the extra costs. Uh, you avoid extra emotional stress. Sometimes you go to the emergency room, you're there for uh, about, you know, an hour, five hours. You know, there's sometimes there are iatrogenic medical events that can occur in the medical, in, in the medication or emergency room rather. So the question is, what uh, would you do? I don't know if there's a chat feature, uh, but if there is, feel, you know, feel free to leave your comments there and uh, we can address uh, the, uh, these questions um, you know, in the question and answer session. Now, I'll tell you, uh, regardless of what we did at that time, uh, this patient did continue to see us over a period of, of really 30 days. And what we saw in uh, the first two weeks, uh, less than two weeks, is that a systolic, peak systolic blood pressure, which is initially 191, uh, it went down to 126. Notice the suspicious gap in the measurements there. So you can <clears throat> inquire about why that's the case. Uh, the average systolic blood pressure, we did recheck his blood pressure multiple times during the first uh, often visit. The average systolic pressure is 167. It went down to 122 uh, over time. And this is all within 11 days. And the diastolic went, the peak diastolic went from 114 down to 86 in 11 days. <clears throat> and the average diastolic went down from 99 to 78. We also saw a significant reduction in the heart rate on average from 83 to 72. This is all in 11 days, and its weight went down considerably in 11 days as well. Now, at the end of about a month of his intervention with us, uh, we had a total cholesterol was 207, went down to 183. The LDL cholesterol went down uh, significantly, and he did have improvements in other uh, clinical biomarkers. And granted, there's more room for work to be done here, but this is what we saw uh, in the uh, in the first 30 days. So uh, his systolic blood pressure was reduced in two or three days, as you saw in the graphs. Diastolic blood pressure reduced in two or three days. Heart rate was reduced significantly in two or three days, and uh, he lowered his cholesterol, glucose, and lipoprotein. So we did get significant weight reduction as well. So we saw very significant uh, changes in just a couple of days, and you could probably guess from 
you know, this part of the presentation, what decision we made, but uh, we can uh, uh, examine that more definitively in the uh, in the question and answer session. Now, the second patient I want to share with you is a patient came in with perhaps more uh, chronic illnesses. He was a 63-year-old man who had a history of a myocardial infarction uh, back in 2005. So this is some, you know, maybe 16, 17 years ago at the time we saw him, triple bypass in 2007, history of hypertension and diabetes, uh, also had a history of uh, uh, chronic kidney disease, uh, and um, also his uh, BMI was 43.13. So um, the uh, integrative health intervention that he underwent uh, consisted of step one, we had to clinically stabilize his condition and uh, wean his medication. So um, he was not acutely ill on presentation, even though he had that horrendous, you know, history of heart attack and heart failure and kidney failure. You know, he was not acutely short of breath and that, and that's an important thing to consider. So it's always important to evaluate the patient's clinical condition upon presentation. So, um, so the next step was to uh, evaluate could we wean his medications uh, uh, safely? And so the decision-making process starts with patient safety first. You know, is the patient decompensating? Uh, do we need to be monitored on medication? Do we need to admit him to the hospital? Uh, in this case, no. Uh, the general therapeutic effectiveness uh, that need to be considered. You know, could it be better to hospitalize patient in some case? Some cases it is better to hospitalize patients uh, 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 in some cases, uh, you know, they can improve faster in the hospital under close observations. Also, you can get more diagnostic testing done uh, faster in the hospital and done more quickly. Um, however, there's also the medical liability issue that one must consider as well, because obviously when you're doing something a little bit off the beaten path or something a little bit unorthodox, you have to consider uh, you know, the potential risk of someone wanting to see you, et cetera. That risk exists in any form of clinical medicine. So the approach was, um, let's look at his medication list. Uh, he was on about two, four, six, eight medications. Um, and so we have to consider which ones should we wean first. Now, looking at this list, I'm going to share with you the approach we took in weaning his medication. Uh, we didn't, you know, jump and wean all of them within the first day. The weaning process took place in the course of maybe a week or two. Uh, we started with the insulin pump. Now, this gentleman was on an insulin pump. His blood sugars were well controlled on insulin pump, and he did report having some uh, episodes of hypoglycemia. And we were concerned about having more episodes of hypoglycemia once he got on a nutritionally uh, rich diet. Uh, so we essentially had to put the pump on uh, zero. We took the aspirin off. We felt that that wasn't needed. That was the next thing to come off. Uh, the atorvastatin went next. Uh, we felt that that was reducing his coenzyme Q10 levels. Uh, he did have congestive heart failure, and that may have been contributing to that. And we felt that we'd be able to control his lipids effectively uh, on uh, the nutritional regimen. Uh, the renolazine wasn't helping. That drug only have, have, uh, helps out with symptomatology. Clopidogrel wasn't necessary. He did not have a stent within the last year. Uh, the Valsartan may have been contributing to his renal insufficiency, and we felt that we needed to add another agent. We can add something that uh, was not an ACE or an ARB, 
that uh, we can um, discontinue. And the Ozempic went uh, pretty uh, quickly. Many of you may be aware that, you know, this is one of the GLP-1 agonists, which is uh, nowadays very popular for weight loss. And this person was morbidly obese. We had no problem stopping this medication. We felt that on the lifestyle intervention that we would place him on, if he followed it, then um, he would have no trouble losing weight. And the last one to go was the bisoprolol, which you know we weaned pretty carefully. But medication weaning is is uh, an approach that is is um, one that we take very seriously because it's very it's a very important part of the health maintenance of the patient. So the next step was nutritional intervention. Uh, step one, we removed all toxic and potentially toxic food from his diet. No dead animal flesh as we refer to it is. No, uh, we removed all dairy, removed eggs, all cooked foods, uh, removed all pasteurized beverages and alcohol. We put him on a, a strictly raw plant-based diet. Uh, and uh, he consumed alkaline water, uh, cold-pressed juices, plant smoothies, uh, seasonal fruits with seeds, raw vegetables and fruit, gourmet raw foods that we prepared at our center. Uh, and uh, we put him on a time-restricted eating pattern. He ate between 11 a.m. and 4 p.m. Uh, he drank alkaline water prior to 11 p.m. and after 4 p.m. So he followed this regimen. Uh, within about a couple of weeks, we started him on an exercise regimen about five days a week. Uh, this was with our trainer. Uh, it was uh, essentially you know, core exercise, strength exercise, and there was some high-intensity uh, interval training workouts that uh, was combined with that. Uh, Beamer therapy was a, a therapy we use that uh, helps with microcirculation. Uh, he also was uh, started on infrared sauna therapy. Uh, it's also known to improve nitric oxide production. There's uh, great data out of uh, Japan showing its effectiveness with patients with congestive heart failure uh, and also improves uh, uh, fitness level. Um, and then um, he did get ECP therapy, given his known history of coronary disease. Uh, which was effective in improving his circulation. So all of these therapies were, were integrated. And um, here's what uh, we were able to find. In summary, uh, medication stabilization, clinical assessment, medication weaning, nutritional detox. We removed the toxic foods, important, uh, and started them on a raw plant-based diet. We started high-intensity interval training, outdoor aerobic training, strength training. And all of these therapies were integrated in while we were seeing him in the clinic, and we were monitoring him clinically as well. So this was all integrated in his, in his medical therapy, regenerative therapies, infrared sauna, ECB therapy, beamer therapy, and the like. So what were the outcomes? Um, uh, his start, his, his ejection fraction, that's the percentage of blood that the heart pumps out with each beat, started at 30%. Within about um, four months, uh, it was up to 45%. The filling pressures on the right side of the heart, that's the amount of pressure that's inside the lungs. And if you have a heart that's weak uh, or stiff, you have increased pressure inside the lungs, you want that to go down. It went down from 42 millimeters of mercury down to 28, which was in the normal range. So he had decreased filling on the right side, which was a good thing, and an increased pumping function of his heart. Uh, his kidney function, creatinine, initially went up, uh, probably due to some early dehydration, but it came down. So the creatinine that came down is a sign of improved, uh, what we call glomerular filtration. Uh, so that's improved kidney function. We can see the glomerular filtration rate. That's the rate in which the kidney is filtering the blood 
went from just 29% all the way up to 82%. 82% greater than 90 is the absolute normal. You want it at least greater than 60. So he was well above uh, needing uh, dialysis. At 29%, he was only 14 points, but 15, say 15, 16 points to where he would need dialysis. Below 15 uh, GFR uh, consistently, you're on dialysis. So he's pretty close to needing dialysis. And if you compare the cardiac function with improved kidney function, there was a correlation. So we think that some of the kidney failure was due to heart failure, and some of it was due to intrinsic kidney uh, problems as well, both of which were correcting under the nutritional regimen. Uh, his glucose level, I want to show you this, did not change significantly. You know, there was some initial drops. We took him off the pump. It went up a little bit. Uh, so his glucose hang around in the 90s. But despite the fact that the glucose level bounced around, his hemoglobin A1C went down drastically uh, in a period of about, so this is about five, six months. And so we had a drop in the hemoglobin A1C, and we've seen this on our, our research data. His weight in about, um, this is uh, six months, he had about a 71-pound weight reduction. This is after we took him off the one of the well-known weight reduction medications. Uh, we were able to reduce his BMI uh, as a result of that. So what's the science behind it? We've actually published our work, and um, um, we've shown that a defined plant-based diet uh, in an outpatient setting, which is what this is, uh, is uh, um, uh, a plant-based plant diet in outpatient settings effective in reducing uh, hypercholesterolemia, reducing uh, blood pressure, and we can do it while at the same time reducing medications. We showed that we can reduce uh, atherogenic molecules, inflam inflammatory molecules, and all this can happen in just four weeks. Now, it's important to understand that we intentionally looked at the effectiveness of this in four weeks, because oftentimes when we think of lifestyle intervention, we say, well, you know, it takes, you know, uh, months or years for these things to happen. And this person needs medication now because their blood pressure is high now. But no, we've shown scientifically that these things can happen within two to three days. Uh, and certainly we published the, the, the data showing it happening within weeks. We've uh, showed a case series of patients with heart failure that showed improvement. Here's some of the uh, snapshot of some of the data. Uh, the weight within, uh, from baseline, and this is a group of uh, 31 patients in our study, a very significant reduction in weight in four weeks, uh, similarly with BMI. Uh, our waist circumference went down significantly all within four weeks. Systolic blood pressure went down, and this, these changes are happening in the setting of medication reduction. Also, you see hemodynamic effects, ejection fraction improved, LV mass went down, so that's the amount of thickness and 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 enlargement of the heart, uh, the uh, overall stroke volume improved, cardiac output improved. We saw inflammatory markets go down by 30%. Uh, uh, cytokine uh, markets go down by 23%, all in just four weeks. Uh, inflammatory markets of cardiovascular, the vascular system go down. So uh, we see these things happen drastically. And even hemoglobin A1C, which in this group was only a, a pre-diabetic group, we saw a very significant drop reduction of 3.4% uh, reduction in hemoglobin A1C, despite the fact that the blood glucose didn't show any significant reduction. So you may ask, well, why is that? The hemoglobin A1C is a measure of the average blood sugar over three months. How can you show a reduction in, in, in four weeks or one month? Well, the other thing that influences hemoglobin A1C is fluctuation in blood sugars. 
And probably the main contributor fluctuation of blood sugar is probably postprandial blood sugar. So the blood sugar probably uh, is elevated after you eat. On this defined plant-based nutritional regimen, I propose that we reduce the fluctuation of blood sugar enough to where it had a very significant reduction in hemoglobin A1C. 3.4% is much greater extent of A1C reduction than you can get with any medication. So you can see how these two patients, um, uh, not only did we control their uh, health conditions, but the first patient is starting to run you know, much faster. The other patient's much leaner. Uh, he's working out in the gym. Uh, we're returning them to their youthful ages. We're, we're activating the champion in them. And so uh, what we decided to do is actually create a docking series, which is an educational uh, docking series that uh, we are um, showing the effects of our patients going through uh, these interventions. And, and we're just playing that to the world. And the docking series is called Heart and Soul of a Champion. I'm going to show you, now this is the, the uh, experimental part, uh, the first episode of season one. Now, season one, we started with some retired NFL athletes. So that's one group. Season two is already being filmed. Uh, season two is going to be uh, chronic illness in women. So we have you know, a broad scope of women from different walks of life. Season three is going to be another group. So we have a variety of people that we're working with. So season one, I'm going to show you uh, next. And so we'll take questions after we're done there. So what I'm going to do now is stop sharing my screen here. I can do it for you, Dr. Montgomery. Hold on. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Hold on one second here. Okay. okay now, re yeah. now reshare your screen. Okay. Hold on a second here. And let me take this back here. Okay. So here is episode one of Heart and Soul of the Champion. With the 25 years of practicing cardiology and internal medicine. Dr. Um, pause for one second. Can you hide meeting controls? On the sure. Top. I'm sorry? On the top right, go to the, the three dots on the right, and then uh, click. Yes. Uh, I thought it would hold over from the last time. Okay, there we go. All right, let me start it from the beginning here. Oops. Am I still sharing? Yep, yep, it's perfect. Over the 25 years of practicing cardiology and internal medicine, I've treated patients with many, many advanced diseases. Following these patients, despite the advancement of technology that we've had, the patients continue to get sicker and sicker. In my busy practice, my health started to decline. I started noticing that my cholesterol went up, my blood pressure was up, and I did not want to take the same therapies I was prescribing other patients. I'm Dr. Baxter Montgomery, and I've been practicing the world's largest medical center for more than a quarter of a century. Our center is quite unique. The Montgomery Heart and Wellness Center is located here in Houston, Texas. We have state-of-the-art diagnostic and therapeutic tools. 
I have a background in biochemistry. I have medical specialties in internal medicine, cardiovascular disease, and cardiac electrophysiology. So I started doing my own research. I got into nutrition. I ran across a local individual who was an expert in doing nutritional detox. And I went through a natural detox in cleansing my system over a period of 33 days. In that period of time, I felt amazing. I felt like I was 18 years old at the age of 35. This caused a light bulb to go off. If this can cause me to improve, this could have an impact on my patients. The body has the ability to heal itself when properly nourished, rested, and hydrated. We know this is effective in getting people back on their feet. However, I have a hypothesis that this intervention is even more powerful than that. This intervention, I think, can get people back to peak levels of performance. So we brought together a group of athletes who had performed at peak levels at some time in their lives. And we're gonna work with these athletes despite the fact that they're coming in with chronic ailments such as high blood pressure, heart failure, arthritis, and many other chronic illnesses. It is our impression that this intervention not only will help their bodies reverse these chronic illnesses, but it will also help their body get back to a level of peak performance. If you can go back and turn the clock, go back to a time where you were at your peak performance, would you do that? This is Heart and Soul of a Champion, Athletes Edition, Season 1. I've been working with Linda Mosley for several months, and I thought based on the previous findings, he would be a perfect candidate for this program. He had gone through our detox program successfully. However, there were a few setbacks that he had that affected him emotionally. So I didn't really start playing football until like the sixth grade. And by the time I was in the 11th, 12th grade, now I was getting a lot better and, you know, into a starting position on the high school football teams. Cousin of mine that gave me a call one day and said, man, you know, are any schools still recruiting you? He said, well, I got a place that wants to look at you. I said, wow, let's do it. So he said, yeah, so I got a coach up at University of North Texas. And so I walked when I actually started and, and led the team. His initial reason for seeing us was that he had had a previous diagnosis of prostate cancer. So he underwent the prostatectomy. He had a successful procedure. And so he was seeing us after the fact. However, despite him having gone through the surgery successfully and doing well, some of the numbers were not looking ideal. And his urologists were telling him that, hey, maybe we're gonna have to put you on hormones or some other type of medical therapy. And when he asked again about lifestyle changes, he was given no answer. And he was feeling demoralized. Oftentimes patients are just focused on, well, my numbers are going up. And he was just focused, well, the numbers are going up. So I'm gonna get the other test. What is the next test show? What is the next test show? 
I wanted to get him out of this mindset. I wanted to get him out of this frame of work. I wanted to get him back on the football field, on the gridiron, to take him back to a time where, where he had other goals. I wanted him to put him in a space of going after goals beyond improving laboratory tests. This was going to put him in a different mental space, and this was going to help him heal his mindset about his disease state. So I've known Kenny Banks for a while and met him through his work with hyperbaric oxygen therapy and had worked out with him once or twice and I knew that he was physically fit. My name is Kenny Banks, 55 years old. I'm a former world-class high jumper and competed on the professional track circuit in the 80s to the mid-90s. Been in sports pretty much all of my life. Tried out for a couple Olympics. Love to still work out and stay active and that's just a big part of my daily routine and sports and athletics keeps me healthy. When I started this project, my idea was to have him come in and push the rest of the group because I knew he was physically fit. However, here we are on day one. His blood pressure looks great, but after doing a stress test, my PA notifies me that he has a significantly abnormal stress test. And when I reviewed the stress test, had very significant EKG changes, consistent with coronary disease. My concern is that someone like him, being seen by a typical cardiologist, would be scheduled for coronary angiogram and a possible stent placement. The question is, is Kenny Banks at risk for heart attack or even sudden cardiac death? Our initial evaluation of Daryl Green when he came in, he seemed to be in pretty good shape. He didn't have any significant symptoms. He didn't have any symptoms of chest discomfort or shortness of breath. He had pretty good energy level. So I felt that he would be someone that we'd be able to start off with and start getting you know, to that higher level. I am a former professional football player, 20 years in the NFL, with a team formerly known as the Washington Redskins, presently known as the Commanders. Our problems with Daryl Green is that he presents to us with, number one, reporting that he has not seen a doctor in 15 to 20 years. And the problem with that is that he essentially has no baseline data for us to evaluate. The other problem that he presents to us with is that he's lived the standard American lifestyle from a dietary standpoint. Now he does exercise from time to time, but he hasn't exercised in about two years based on his report, at least not on a regular basis. I'd like to live long. I like to live long because I like to have an extended impact on the world. Super Bowls, Hall of Fame, all that, st all that stuff is great because that's a tool in my hand. That's what drives me. So if I can be healthy and be there and participate and use even some of the foolish things of this world, run fast at 62 and people go, ah, and then now I got, I got a conversation with you. Upon the initial set of vital signs, my staff came to me and told me that his initial blood pressure was 191 over 114. So that raised my eyebrows. When a patient comes with a blood pressure, like Daryl Green has, 191 over 114. This is a blood pressure that's at a level that's considered stroke level. 
nine times out of 10, or maybe nine and a half times out of 10, a doctor will send you straight to the emergency room, especially if it's a clinical setting where you cannot get CT scans or other types of imaging. This is a medical emergency. This is the type of blood pressure that doctors typically treat urgently in the hospital, in an emergency room right away. The other thing we found is that Daryl Green has blood vessel disease. Now we refer to this as endothelial dysfunction. Essentially what that means that he has blood vessel disease, which could mean he's predisposed to a heart attack or stroke or some other type of vascular problem. When I started this project, I had the goal, the vision to take retired athletes and take them to a level of physical performance that was either near or at their previous peak levels of performance. The tricky part about Daryl Green is that my scientific mind is struggling with my human football fan mind. My scientific mind, my medical mind, is saying this individual is at risk for heart attack, stroke, sudden cardiac death. My sports fan mind is saying, this person's physically fit. This person can run a 4340. This person is superhuman. And I'm struggling within with this individual. And I know that nearly half of the individuals with cardiovascular disease present with sudden cardiac death as their first symptom. And now we have to make a decision. Should that be send them to the emergency room or not? I met Raymond Wadi through Daryl Green the night before the first visit. Daryl calls me and says, you know, hey, I have this friend, Raymond Wadi, and I just found out after talking to a mutual friend of his that he was recently diagnosed with congestive heart failure. So last night we talked and I talked to Raymond. His wife is on the phone through speakerphone. And I just shared with him that I think, you know, what we do can help. And so he decided to come in. He still wasn't sure what he wanted to do even after coming. However, he completed our intake form. And as of now, he tells me he's all in. Most of the people that know me call me Ray. If you really know me, they call me Stack because that means I grew up with you. And probably more known as Coach, Coach Waddy. I was fortunate enough to earn a scholarship to go to college to play football. I was an undrafted free agent, signed with the Washington Redskins, and ended up being fortunate enough to make the team and spent a little over three years with them. So I ended up going to the St. Louis Cardinals, getting released, uh, the last cut. I left there, came back to Texas as a student taught, left Kingsville and went to Canada and played in the CFL with Edmonton and British Columbia. Left Canada, came back to the States in the newly formed United States Football League and finished my career in, in 84 in San Antonio. So Mr. Ray Mawadi comes in and I look at him. He has a, a very, very distinctive limp. He's obese. 
he is wearing an external defibrillator. So he's not the perfect picture of health. My concern with managing a patient with heart failure is that we have two major problems with heart failure. One major problem is that heart failure patients can become very ill and die from overall poor circulation. We call that pump failure. Overall poor circulation leads to kidney failure, liver failure, GI failure, and brain dysfunction. And individuals in this condition are very, very sick and very, very hard to manage. And the other situation with heart failure is that heart failure patients are at risk for sudden cardiac arrest. One minute they're up talking to you, the other minute they collapse in death. So sudden cardiac death or slow pump failure. These are two very difficult things that we deal with patients with heart failure. Raymond Wadi's heart failure is so bad that he has to walk around with a device about the size of a transistor radio to monitor his heart in the event that he suffers a cardiac arrest. In 2019, I was diagnosed with cancer. After having a complete hysterectomy, talking about a good husband, he was there with me from start to finish. We cried together, we prayed together, but we got through it. It was, it was very hard. Some of the things that I went through, some men couldn't stand it. He stood and he stood with me. I tell you, that, that's God. That's, that's a godly man and a loving husband. And we've had other challenges. I lost my bonus son. He was my godson, but I call him my bonus son. In January of 2021, he was hit by a car. That was devastating to me and he was only 29 years old. April of 2021, I lost my dad. In January of 2022, I lost my only grandson that was 17. I'm still having a hard time from both of those, and he's been right there by my side. So, you know, it's been a lot for me. I lost my brother. In March. In March to brain cancer. Leading up to before I was diagnosed, I had been feeling very tired, very fatigued, and I started having shortness of breath and so my wife said well you need to get an appointment so i got an appointment with my pcp he did a ekg and they found an arrhythmia uh, abnormal heart rhythm so he sent me to the cardiologist the cardiologist called me in and told me that i had congestive heart failure that was a lot to unpack when we got that news we were both just like dumbfounded it was just a lot of un unknown uncertainties. What did that mean, congestive heart failure? Is my going to have a heart attack? Uh, is my heart going to stop working? Uh, which basically is the combination of all those things that could happen. The most important thing that I noticed about Wadi, he has this continence, his facial continence of hopelessness. That is the most worrisome symptom that he has, in my opinion. That symptom is the, the most difficult symptom to deal with with any patient. When a patient has lost hope, then that patient is a patient who's very difficult to treat. My main intervention with Raymond Wadi on day one has been to introduce 
a sense of hope and direction. What we're doing with him today, A, come up with a game plan toward healing your heart. And this is the strategy. And this is our plan for victory. I'm taking them back on the football field and I'm giving them a plan for victory. And this time the victory is to heal his heart. While doing his treatment on the ECP bed, I walked up to him and I said, well, what was your best time in the 40 yard dash? He told me it's 4.49 seconds. I said, oh, great. That's your goal. Your goal is 4.49 seconds. Now he looked at me and laughed with a look, hey, this sounds ridiculous. I said, no, I had a very serious face. I had a very, I'm very serious. Your goal is 4.49. And I talked to my staff and I explained what we were doing. I said, look, Mr. Raymond Waddy's best time in a 40 yard dash was 4.49. Our goal for him is 4.49. Every time you see him, I want you to say 449. It's a realistic goal. And it's a goal that we want him to make his own goal, even if it's a lifelong goal. 449. One thing we've dealt with in our approach to treating patients with chronic illnesses is a paradigm shift in our thinking in terms of how people should age compared to how we currently age. If we look at individuals who are aging, who are developing chronic illnesses, our natural thought process, or at least our current thought process is there's a debilitation over time. Similarly with athletes, but the everyday individual. But what we've come across is a different way of thinking about this. Based on our historical clinical evidence and clinical experience, the paradigm shift that we have come to is that individuals should improve their performance over time, not decline. Because seeing how individuals with severe illnesses who are on death's door can turn around and be revitalized, can we get retired athletes to function at their peak level of performance when they were very young, regardless of their baseline medical condition? That's what we aim to see. These athletes are gonna be surprised at the accomplishments that they will make during this program. Maybe this is something that can help me. So I'm here. I just think it's something that Preferably, that would be a benefit to me and other people as well. I'm excited. I'm ready. I'm ready to try to do this. It'll be interesting, though, to see what the change is from where I have started my baseline, right? So that, that'll be an interesting part to see. Essentially, the illnesses that Mr. Banks, Green, Mosley, and Wadi are dealing with kill more people every year in the United States than all the deaths that we've lost from American soldiers in United States history.
Okay, um, I'll probably need you to. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, yes, we can hear you. We can hear okay. you fine. Okay, so um, typically I do maybe two showing, but I wanted to show that one episode. And what I'll share with the audience before we get into Q&A is uh, the fact that, um, <clears throat> you know, this docuseries is designed uh, uh, for multiple purposes. One is an educational piece, uh, obviously is an entertainment piece, uh, but the, the motivation behind this, and not only this season, but future season and ongoing seasons, is to show everyone the um, inside stories behind, you know, taking care of these patients. You know, for many years, I've come to these conferences and presented uh, our approach to, you know, putting people on a, you know, plant-based diet and help them reverse their cholesterol and improve their overall health. However, uh, there are many stories behind this, and there's a human factor. And, and what we uh, hope to uh, show in this first season and continue to show the many different stories behind this, because we all have to put, you know, a face behind, you know, these lives. We talk about statistics of heart disease and the like, uh, but they're real stories. They're real human beings behind this. And chronic illness, uh, and we'll address, you know, all of these aspects, chronic illness do not just affect the person you know, who is suffering that disease or diagnosis, but it's affecting the people all around them. And, um, and hopefully the docuseries will come and continue to bring the multiple dimensions uh, around these stories that we're dealing with. And so with that, I'll uh, close my comments. And we have quite a bit of time for q and I, I did this on purpose because I wanted to allow time for a discussion. Uh, so I'll let a uh, moderator take over and and uh, moderate that. <laughs> Thank you so much, Dr. Montgomery, for for uh, one your initial talk, and also uh, that that looks like a great uh, like a great show. Where where can someone uh, find that series? Um, there's a link I think I emailed to you, but it's also on my final slide. It's heartandsoulofachampion.com. Mm -hmm.